Kia ora, and welcome to the New Zealand Property Market Podcast, brought to you by CoreLogic, produced by Agents TV for the 22nd of November, 2021. I'm Head of Research, Nick Goodall, and I'm joined by our Chief Economist, Calvin Davidson, down in Christchurch. Calvin, how are you feeling, mate? How's the uh, whanau at the moment? Yeah, health is better. It's a bit of a, she was a long tail to whatever we had, some sort of cold flu thingy-majiggy, not COVID, uh, but yeah, a bit of a long tail to get over it. I think we're, we're pretty good now. Um, Helped have a bit of sunshine over the weekend. We've got some grass now, so pretty stoked about that. Played outside on the on the trampoline and kicked a ball around, so it was pretty cool. Feeling uh, feeling more positive than maybe a week ago. So um, all good. How about you? You know, we're all good, mate. I mean, uh, we did have a little bit of sickness come through, but it seems to have been much shorter lived than what you guys have got through. Um, good weekend though. Sun finally had its first little cricket session on Saturday morning. Weather was decent enough, so that was good. And he thinks he's already a bit of a pro. Um, so now it's probably going to be managing ego, I think. He's like, oh, this is easy, Dad, and I know how to do this. So, yeah, I'm like, you can't even catch a ball yet, mate, so you might want to, you know, just drag that back a little bit, but we'll see how that goes. But he, he enjoyed it, so that's the number one thing, I suppose. Um, and then, of course, you know, maybe like last week, the less said about, um, you know, the sport that we watch, the better with the All Blacks, of course, disappointing, uh, very disappointing yesterday morning. And the key concern for me is we just don't look physically strong or up to it at breakdowns as the opposition that we've been playing on the Northern Hemisphere. So it does feel like a bit of a switch in power, of course. England beat South Africa as well. So some alarm bells maybe for that World Cup in 2023. We while away now. But, uh, yeah, you got it's hard not to think about that as an All Black supporter anyway. Yeah, and Wales beat Australia too. Maybe we'll, we'll just start put it down to a long season. You know, they're keen to get home. Thinking about two weeks in NYQ. It's a, a daunting thing to think about. But, um, yeah, it's cricket season. Yeah, yeah, good call, mate. Just move to cricket. I like it. We're better at that, although we did lose to India 3 0 in the T20. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. We'll do better in the tests, hopefully, and we'll be fine. The long season, probably, it's probably fair enough to a degree, I suppose. They did go to quarantine, you know, they did travel away for um, big, you know, the last half or whatever it was, or most of that rugby championship. So I get that. They've been away a long time. So maybe there's some, some truth to that, but um, I think we expect more of our All Blacks and those sort of excuses won't fly. But uh, look, mate, let's move on. Let's get into some property stuff. Um, of course, last week we had two major releases from CoreLogic, the Triple CI, the Cordell Cost Construction Index, and the Pain and Gain Report, of course, looking at when people sold in Q3, whether they sold for profit or loss, both of them going out in the same week last week, so a busy week for the media. I saw incredible coverage across the board for both um, both releases, including, of course, uh, you had a very you know, good long live interview on the AM show for the Pain and Gain results. So I'm expecting many people have seen um, you know, these reports out there. But I wondered about, you know, how you just let us know how, how you thought it went, any highlights from the report, from the media interviews, and kind of your final take on, on those two releases that went out last week, mate. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, yeah, fair bit of coverage. I felt like the phone was was ringing pretty red hot and, and um, throughout, uh, you know, various contexts, you're getting lots of calls and lots of things set up. So, was, but I think it reflects the prominence that the housing market has at present at present and you know construction is a big part of that that cccii a lot of interest in that given uh what's going on with construction costs i mean it seems to be just in the news every single day at present now there's a, a, a commerce commission investigation to the pricing there so it's a pretty hot topic so well you know i wasn't surprised to to get that coverage and, and i guess i, I think construction is going to be a, a theme for next year as well around 
costs and, and capacity and all of that. So it's not going to go away anytime soon. So that was pretty, um, yeah, expected. And then and then pain and gain, I think, again, is picking up on a big theme of, of just the boom we've had. You know, people are still a seller's market. Uh, maybe it's turning, but, you know, people are still selling at high prices and, and a lot above what they originally paid. So a lot of questions around that. Um, you know, how does this be? How, is, how can this be? You know, what's, what's driven it? But also this uh, a sense of, of that turning point and people were like, yep, the data is what it is, but what's next? And a lot, so a lot of questions about, well, when when will this end? How will it end? You know, what, what are we looking at next year? So a lot of those kind of forward-looking questions too, which is good because that's kind of what we're trying to trying to think about and, and talk about too. So, yeah, it was um, picked up on hot topics, I guess, so no surprises about the coverage. And and I think, yeah, looking ahead, it's, it's what we kind of talk about every week, but uh, looking at that slowdown, I think was was my overall message. So um, yeah, she was a busy week for the old media stuff. Yeah, and I think I think what you did quite well in the um, coverage I saw was just tempering some of the you know headlines or you know hyperbole around you know the amount of people obviously taking profits and how big they were and everything is like you know either that gets recycled back into the property market anyway. So you know what does that actually matter? Um, but also it's a function of holding a property for a long period of time you know it's not like these people we don't say they bought it in q3 they sold it in q3 they bought it in q1 and made 400 grand on it you know that those those flipping incidents are, are much more rare these days so i think you did quite well just to temper some of that discussion around that too is that yes of course this is exceptional we've been through a strong growth phase but also it reflects the fact that people hold on for at least generally seven years or more um, so I do think it was important that you you do temper some of that as well. Um, and the only other one we've got to mention, mate, is that, and I know we've tried to move on from sport, but I'm going to intertwine it once again, was, of course, we, we talked about on Friday, you and I, we caught up and you said, in hindsight, you wished when Mark Richardson, of course, famous New Zealand cricketer on the AM show, brought up the fact that, you know, what's the difference in Dunedin, I think it was, which had hit 100, um, you know, or the fact that 99 was, was so high. And, of course, there's such a perfect cricket analogy in there, mate. But I thought now we've got the podcast, let's not let that that potential um, comment that you could have made go to waste. So what what what, what were you what were you thinking? What if you could get moment back again and Mark Richardson asks you about the difference between ninety nine and hundred? What would you have said? Yeah, well, the, the thing was that one hundred percent of resellers in Dunedin made uh, a, a resale profit, and he asked that question. I was like oh well what's the difference between 99 and 100 you know other parts of the country at 99 percent and it's only one percent it's all high um and it turns out in hindsight that it, i think we we decided we found he did make 99 in a test match didn't we so um you know it could have been a good chance to to say well you know it might not mean much in the property market but i bet it meant a hell of a lot to you that day or something to that effect but um didn't you know it's all very well in hindsight and it's a bit weird but you, you do a that, that am show over zoom you know, all I could see on my screen is myself, basically. You, you, you just have them in your ear. You can't see what they're doing. So that interaction thing is, is a bit more difficult as opposed to actually what you see on the screen when you're watching it. So, um, yeah, a little bit a little bit tricky, but it would have been a good chance to get some kind of cricket uh, jab in there. But, um, yeah, quality player, of course, and he, and he made many test centuries after that. So um, good on him. It did send us down a rabbit hole on Friday afternoon when we were just trying to find out whether he... He actually scored a 99, um, but of course, yeah, the key, you know, thing that he's famous for, very famous for, other than getting cramped that time, but also um, <laughs> you know, 
he scored 100 at Lords, and I didn't realise that he scored 93, I think it was, in the first innings, and then scored his 100. So, you know, pretty exceptional to score that at the home of cricket. Um, so, yeah, no doubt a very, very, very good uh, test cricket player. Um, slow, but uh, did the job for us when we needed him many times. So, yeah, credit where it's due. And, uh, yeah, just a, it's an interesting interview to watch as well because, of course, yeah, you did get questions from all three of the hosts rather than just the main one, which is often how it works. So, yeah, no doubt that is uh, a little bit different. And, yeah, certainly I understand that, uh, yeah, it's a bit harder to think of those things on the fly when you're on the moment. So, totally understand. But that's why I say had, had to use it right now, even though we're doing it in hindsight. I think it would have worked nicely. Um, but, yeah, great, great job on the interviews anyway. And um, yeah, really interesting information. I think you know that's the key point. Um, you know, pain and gain. Of course, we know that most is positive, but it is potentially near its peak right now. And Triple C, I as you said, this ain't going away for, for you know anytime soon. Um, you know, those costs of construction have been increasing, and you know we think that based on you know some of the other factors and looking back in history, we may well see you know at the moment it was what about mid five percent annual growth. We may see it get upwards towards that 10% like it did in the mid-2000s as well. So I think that's just in context. And I think we talked about that last week. So um, I will move on. It's um, good to be able to just cover those things off as well. Um, look, the other key release date last week, Calvin, and this is probably going to be the, the core of you know the discussion points you know, for today's podcast anyway, is the debt-to-income data, of course, being released by Reserve Bank. So much more depth and depth detail released from them. Um, I know that you pulled out a few sort of key facts that are probably worthwhile noting, whether you split that by investors or owner-occupiers. I just wonder if it's worthwhile, those couple of key stats that you pulled out, to really put in, again, it's this context of what is the importance or what is the scale of this discussion that's going on right now about debt-to-income ratios being brought in or caps being brought in, and what impact, of course, the key question is, for us especially, what impact might they have on the market in terms of restricting the amount of people able to get a mortgage because these caps are in place? So do you want to cover off those two couple of headline uh, pieces of insight that you've got? And then we'll maybe just see what else we can we can tease out from that release of the data that we got from Reserve Bank last week. Yep, yep. And there's, uh, there's a lot of things to cover here. But I guess thinking about where they might set them, obviously, that's still very much up for grabs. But... Reading, reading between the lines of some of the material we have to hand could be set at a maximum of six for investors and a maximum of seven for owner-occupiers. So now that's you know indicative, but that's kind of where it might be at this point. And of course, you know, some banks are already acting in about those levels. So at that number of six for investors, currently, or you know, in the last few months, when you look at it by value, 53% of lending to investors is going out at a debt-to-income ratio greater than six. So 53, more than half of investors borrowing above that threshold as if, if it comes in at that level. So, yeah, I mean, debt-to-income ratios on those numbers would bite pretty hard for investors. And so um, you know, possibly big changes coming there if and when they're enacted officially. Um, so, yep, big number there. Owner-occupiers, you know, not quite so striking and, and this is probably where it sort of plays into the, the government's view and you know, Grant Robertson's view that he doesn't want first-time buyers to be adversely affected by this or at least to any great degree. At that debt-to-income ratio of, of seven <coughs> only, in inverted commas, you know, it's for those people borrowing at those levels, it matters a lot. But across the market as a whole, only about 7% of first-time buyer lending was done at a debt-to-income ratio greater than seven. So, you know, just based on those numbers, if those thresholds were put there, seems like it would have a much bigger impact on investors than first-time buyers. So that's kind of 
this was sort of known, I suppose, but but these numbers put scale on it. And as I say, it's 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 probably what you know that Grant Robertson will be aware of these numbers, for example, and it's kind of probably where his his thinking is. And and if you add up, so if you switch away from value to numbers, number of mortgages actually done over the past twelve months, there's been if and if you look at all of those various thresholds across the different types of buyers and kind of add them all up, you get about forty thousand loans that wouldn't have happened theoretically if debt to income ratios were in place, which equates to about 14% of the lending that was done. So you're talking about you know, one in seven loans, maybe not, not able to be done as a result of these debt to incomes if they were put in place at those, those figures. So it's yeah, really useful numbers and um, big across the market as a whole, you know, for 14, 15% and, and disproportionately affecting those investors. So um, yeah, a lot to watch. Yeah, I think there's some very stark, um, you know, pieces of information and data there. I do think it's worthwhile noting. I think you you obviously um, have made this point previously that of all those loans that you're talking about, forty thousand loans, that's not all for new sales. You know, they the Reserve Bank's figures track all lending, whether it's for top ups or refis. So you know, we do need to keep that in context. That might mean you know a big chunk of those. Who knows what share? They haven't released that split data yet that many of those just won't be able to top up their mortgage. And so from our perspective, when we're trying to relate this back to, you know, the market and what sales are going to occur and how many people can originate a mortgage for a purchase of a property, whether that's an investor or a first-time buyer or another owner-occupier, we want to know whether it's in conjunction with a sale. We can't get that from this data yet, so we can't really talk in too much depth about that, but it is worth noting that. Now, that's not 40,000 sales that wouldn't have occurred. You know, it's going to be a smaller proportion of that. Um, I think, you know, maybe about a third of all the lending or whatever was um, due for sales, but we don't know that that proportion applies also to those done at a higher DTI. Um, sorry if that's a bit confusing, but I think that, you know, we, we can't apply that directly either. So we can't just go, well, a third of that was due to sales, which is what, 12 or 13,000, 14,000. So that means those sales wouldn't occur. We can't really assume that either, but that might be a ballpark, that 13,000 loans or so, we're done with sales and above that threshold that might not have occurred, but at least it puts some sort of potential scale in there, um, even if it's not, you know, firmly backed with with um, you know the appropriate amount of confidence in the data. So I think that's also worth noting. And something also which I think we always want to try and drive home here is that we don't know what sort of you know exemption they might create for new builds. You know, every other piece of legislation or change or lending. Um, requirement has always had an exemption or outside speed limit for um, new builds. Whether that's the case for DTIs, we truly don't know. Again, this will be part of the consultation, I'm sure, which will start before the end of this month. Uh, I think we'll have the ability to feed that back in. And then there may be exemptions for new new uh, new builds, sorry, where maybe you can be outside that those debt to income caps if you're building new because it's adding to stock. Um, again, this will be feedback, I'm sure, that you know HUD Will provide to Reserve Bank before they implement anything. So there's still you know a few questions up in the air there, of course, and we need to be considerate of that. Um, and you also touched on the fact that you know some of these banks um, are already adhering to to you know putting on debt to income caps already. Um, we've already previously spoken about BNZ, which got a bit of coverage at the time, maybe two weeks ago now, about how they were capping uh, debt to income. Uh, restrictions essentially through the broker network. Well, we've since heard that that's also through direct channels to BNZ at that six times. 
Um, but since then, I've also seen just on the uh, on the weekend or maybe prior to the weekend, um, uh, mortgage advisor Alex Tui, who's from Vega on LinkedIn, messaged and basically said that they're already being implemented across most of the main banks or not. BNZ six times, absolutely no lending above. ASB six times used in conjunction with servicing calculators. Uh, ANZ to implement some form of this in the new year. And Westpac have indicated they will not put a limit in yet unless they're required to by the Reserve Bank. So some quite different takes from the major banks there, which will influence activity, of course, um, you know, immediately in some cases. And otherwise, it might just force some transactions to the banks that don't have those same restrictions going in as well. So I think there's, there's just so much going on in the space. We talked about, you know, debt-to-income caps not having an impact on the market till the second half of next year. Well, if the banks are here sooner, then that is certainly going to restrict credit in the short term, especially when you look at, you know, those figures you talked about, 53% of loans to investors above DTI of six. So essentially no investors, or those investors, 53%, half of them wouldn't be able to get a loan from BNZ now. Um, so, you know, there's some very real impact here, which is going to see demand reduce and we'll definitely see less price pressure. The key question is then going to be how much does credit dry up that might actually lead to values, you know, seeing more weakness than, uh, than not just price, prices increasing. So, yeah, look, there is just so much going on in the space. I think it probably reaffirms our position that the influence on the market from now on becomes credit-driven, um, you know, whether people can borrow money to continue to pay the prices that they have been in the last, you know, 6, 12, 18 months. That's really the key measure of where the market's going to. And we haven't even once mentioned increasing interest rates, which is, of course, another key factor when you look at how much they've increased in the last wee while. Um, and, of course, we're expecting them to continue to grow as well. So, yeah, look, gee, this is the number one factor right now. Would you agree? Yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah, and and the more you think about debt-to-incomes and the, the real-world implications, very, very different from, and this might be stating the obvious, but very, very different from LVRs. You know, if you if you can keep finding that equity, you can keep borrowing. You just take on another property as long as you satisfy the LVR on it, you keep going and going. Debt to income is very, very different. And we've we've talked before about how theoretically it could it could limit you to one investment property or you know a very small portfolio. And I think probably these latest numbers just just really reinforce that that a lot of lending that's been going on would be very, very tricky if, um, if debt-to-incomes are officially put in and, and you know, it might already be tricky with, with the banks really doing it. So, so yeah, and, and like you say, there's caveats with the data because it, it does include other things apart from sales. Another thing in there is, is bank switches, I believe. So we're just kind of, you know, refinancing in another bank. So, you know, some of that investor lending is probably that, so they'd, they'd be able to carry on doing that, you would think. But, um, yeah, there's, um, <laughs> yeah, this is potentially a pretty big hurdle when, when when you add in simple, like you say, simple mortgage rate increases themselves with more to come, as well as affordability pressures. A lot of challenges coming up. And I think debt to incomes is is, is a real big one. And gonna, it'll be really interesting to see when that consultation email comes out. It could well be coming out as we speak. Who knows? It'll tend to be the past experience. But, yeah, um, could bite pretty hard. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, maybe, maybe it'll come alongside... Who knows the way the Reserve Bank released things, but maybe it'll come alongside the um, the OCR decision this week, which is, of course, probably the big thing for us to take note of this week. While we're talking about Reserve Bank, mate, we might as well just talk about the impact of interest rates, the expectations for the OCR. I know that you'll be um, writing a release based off the back of that uh, on Wednesday afternoon, 2 o'clock, the, the announcement is, goes public. 
Um, and also, I think just around some of the changes that were more changes from the banks, really, um, around, you know, probably impacted by the fact that we've seen those LVRs tightened up as well, um, you know, around about the fact that, you know, only 10% of lending to own occupiers can be done above an 80% LVR. So, mate, OCR this week, expectations. I mean, many people listening to this hopefully, you know, stay pretty close to many of the other economists' release, but worthwhile getting our thoughts down on paper or on the airwaves, I suppose. Um, where, where do you sit at the moment with your expectations for Wednesday afternoon? Yeah, it feels like with a couple of weeks now we're, we're pretty much talking about the Reserve Bank, can't we? It seems to be the, the key player at the moment. And yeah, so official cash rate on, on Wednesday at 2pm, uh, it'll definitely go up. The question is really just about how much. And yeah, there's sort of a consensus, I think you'd call it, for, for 0.25, the sort of cautious approach given we're still in COVID and um, you know, there's still uncertainties there. But um, I, I don't think anybody would really be surprised if it was half a percent either. So, so by uh, sort of 201 on Wednesday, we'll, we'll have an official cash rate of either 0.75 or 1%. Um, so, yeah, that, that's, that's sort of the only question about the scale of the increase. And really for me, after that, as soon as I see that, then the mind switches next to, well, what's next? And um, for the latest projection was that the official cash rate, this is from the Reserve Bank, about three months ago, they put out their numbers and they're projecting the official cash rate to be sort of at a peak of 2% in about two years' time. So a sort of slow and steady increase now. So my interest will be on, well, is that peak, is the timing the same, but is that peak higher? Uh, or is it has it been brought forward? So, you know, do we see a higher peak for the official cash rate you know, maybe end of next year. So all these things are pushed through a lot faster. So yeah, that's that's probably the next thing for me. And then within that, they also publish uh, GDP projections and um, house price projections, for example. We'll get an updated forecast on where they think house prices will go. So um, yeah, I'll quickly look at the decision itself, uh, but then it's, I think, looking ahead to, to where they think things will go after that. And yeah, certainly around the LVRs too, the next set of mortgage lending figures that'll also be out on Wednesday at three o'clock. So it'll get lost in the mix, no doubt, and the sort of in the wake of that official cash rate decision. But yeah, that's that, those figures will cover October. That'll be out uh, an hour later. And uh, key interest for me, I mean, the, the total mortgage lending figure itself could be a bit stronger. We know that sales kind of picked up a little bit in um, whichever month in October due to, to Auckland coming back down the, the restriction levels. So mortgage lending figures itself could be a little bit stronger, but it's the breakdown of, and, and in particular, that high LVR lending to first-home buyers. You know, has that, have the banks continued to move down under that speed limit and how far it might go? And the latest figure, across all owner-occupiers, we had about 10% of lending going out at a high LVR. And of course, the speed limit now is 10% from the 1st of November. So, so people might look at it and say, well, no problem, you know, speed limit's 10%, we're running at 10%, all good. But the history is that banks like to keep a buffer. So, and last time the speed limit was 10%, they actually cut all the way to 5%. So I think there's still still a substantial amount of credit tightening to come there. And, and first-home buyers will be disproportionately affected because they've been using the speed limit. So, um, so it's that breakdown I'll be looking out for. And, you know, has that number continued to go down below 10% and, and by how much really? So, yeah, a lot, a lot going on with the Reserve Bank. And the, the real world impact seems to be, you know, you talk about the banks wanting to be well below that speed limit, which they always have been. You know, there seems to be an extra layer of nervousness from them as well, where we've heard 
and seen some evidence of, you know, let's talk about traffic light system. I think there was some coverage on interest.co last week about Kiwi Bank. Basically, these banks tightening up and essentially stopping pre-approval to new customers. And the reasoning seems to be from the discussions I've had is it's because they, they aren't sure. They can't pre-approve you for a certain amount because they, they don't know when you go to actually draw down that amount. If that puts you above 80%, they may then have to decline you then, or they, they don't, you know, they can't really manage their their um, speed limit very well because they pre-approve you for let's say 800 grand. They're thinking you're going to buy a million dollar property, up to a million dollar property. If that property is then worth more than a million, and they've approved you to 800, um, and you can service that, then essentially, I'm not sure, and I could be wrong on this, but whether they can't really decline you at that point. So what they start to do is they stop pre-approving as many people, and they basically say, look, well, you're welcome to come and get a mortgage with us but you need to come to us with the property you want to borrow, uh, buy and borrow for, and then we'll approve you for a certain amount based on that property, based on whether we have room in our speed limit to allow you to be one of those people that goes over 80% LVR. And so when you see them pulling back all these pre-approvals, that is essentially a direct reflection of the LVRs themselves, um, or the LVR restrictions themselves, and the fact that it's tightened up so much. You know, They were at, what, 13% of their 20% speed limit before, now they have to get under 10, so they're going to want to be, you know, 5 6% maybe. So there's some way to go there. And they basically get nervous and go, we can't afford to be over that speed limit. So anyone that might cause us to do that, we're going to, you know, stop. Or we're going to stop doing any more of them. Because if you're already pre-approved, they can't really take that back. Maybe they could, but they'd run into trouble. I don't know how that would all work. So if in doubt, they just go, we're not going to do any more. Um, so it just makes things, again, slow down. You know, rather than having all these people... You think about what pre-approvals do. It essentially says, cool, I'm going to give all these pre-approvals, 100 people. They can now go out there and feel confident to go and buy a property. Oh, yeah, sweet. We know how much we can borrow. We know what we're willing to pay for this property. So they're all in the market, quite active, quite confident in doing what they do. Take all those pre-approvals out, and there'll be plenty in the market already. So it's going to take a while for this to, to be borne out in the market, of course. Take all those away, though. Suddenly, people go, I don't know if I can actually buy this because I don't know how much I can borrow to get it. So that you know, FOMO that, you know, desperation, it reduces significantly. And I think, again, it's another factor that will cause those prices to not go up at the same, you know, level we'd seen previously. That price pressure reduces significantly as people go, cool, we can look for homes. But, you know, when we get to that point of going, yeah, we want to put an offer for this place, you then have to go and see your bank and go, look, we want to buy this property. The bank will find out what it's worth. And then that process starts from there. So it slows things down considerably. So I think that that's going to lead to less price pressure in the future. So I think that's the real world impact of this, this reduction in the speed limit for the LVRs. And I think it's a really important point to note here. Yep, oh, absolutely, yeah. And, and there might be people out there saying, well, you know, how do you know history is going to repeat? And I mean, last time when the speed limit was 10%, the banks actually went down to 5% for high LVR lending to owner-occupiers. You, you know, it might not be repeated, but just look what's happening currently for investors. The, you know, that speed limit for investors now is, is 5% at a high LVR, which you know the LVRs are different for investors and owner-occupiers, but still speed limit 5%. What they're currently doing is basically zero. So they are keeping that buffer of 4 or 5% below the actual speed limit. So if that applies across to owner-occupiers, it has done in the past, that sort of buffer is currently applying for investors. You'd, you'd think that yeah, that that amount of finance going out at high LVR still has to halve pretty much from where it is now. So there's there's yeah a lot of tightening to come. Add that to speculation about debt to incomes and actually, of course, being enacted already by some banks mortgage interest rates. Uh, it, it's easy to 
take start to take a more negative view. I think. Yeah, I, I think it is, and I think yeah, when you like I said, I'm urgent to see the Reserve Bank's forecast for house prices. Um, of course, alongside OCR and all the other forecasts, definitely something we'll pay attention to on Wednesday. But I think that it starts to become more easy to understand why this forecast of you know values the rate of growth slowing back down to zero at some stage next year. And I think the key thing we've been talking about is that one of the key contributors, maybe the key contributor, the strongest influence on the prices recently has been availability of credit. And if you do subscribe to that theory and availability of credit is absolutely tightening up and getting harder and harder for people to borrow the amounts of money they need to, especially because prices have grown so much recently, so you've got to borrow even more or have that larger deposit, that's got even harder. And so when you start to think about all these factors, those headwinds of credit availability do seem to be tightening so much. And that's the key factor as well, why we see those um, house price forecasts dropping away to 0% annual growth you know, at some stage next year. And I think the more I think about it, the more we talk about it and talk to other players in the market, I do think you know, it's starting to become more, what do you want to call it, believable, more likely reality, whatever. And it'll be really interesting to see um, the forecast and the commentary alongside that as to why that comes about. And I guarantee you, if we get any media off the back of the, the release from the Reserve Bank, that's going to be one of the key questions once again, is the Reserve Bank's forecasting this, you know, as in for house prices, X percent or, you know, to zero percent within X months. Do you believe that or, or do you think that's, you know, um, you know, too optimistic from their perspective or whatever? Um, I think that'll be a key question as well. But I am starting to come around to, you know what? If it's credit related, then uh, it's easily to easy to subscribe and understand why they why they think that, and and the other economists too at the banks and whatnot as well. So yeah, look, crucial crucial um, times, and uh, really interesting to see where those um, forecasts go to. Yep. Yeah, and if anybody's looking at those forecasts, it, it's also important to keep in mind. So yeah, they, they I mean the last time, for example, they had a peak to trough fall of about five percent starting the end of next year. So uh, that, that is what it is. But they had house prices rising further until you got to that starting point. So actually, I think where you ended up after the 5% falls was still higher than where you were now. So, you know, that's something to keep in mind is, is looking at when the falls actually start, how big they are, but also how much more prices might rise before you get there. So that's that's something to keep in mind. Um, and now that whole, that whole sort of path might might change. So yeah, certainly something that we'll, we'll look out for. Yeah, really interesting point again, um, especially because I think right now I'm seeing more and more hearing directly to me questions about, you know, if I'm going to buy a property, whether it's a first home buyer or another investor, people seriously considering and going, oh, I've heard values are going to drop and things are going to be as strong in the, in the future. Should I just wait a little bit? And, you know, again, we need financial advisors and things, but I think that's a really good piece of context that there's still going to be further growth in the market, even if there is a drop going to come a wee while away um, and then we start to look at the factors of why a drop might actually occur and to me there's still you know it's more likely that you need to some, see some sort of lift in unemployment where people are actually wanting to sell their property not just the fact that there's fewer people able to buy property too so I think it's a matter of considering those other factors um, but you know that's, that's I suppose me taking a bit of a positive view but otherwise I think I am sort of feeling a bit more negative maybe than usual. And, and perhaps there's going to be some connection here to the form of the All Blacks. And I know that people talk about when the All Blacks don't do well, we're more likely to go into recession or something. I'm not sure what the link is there, but I do feel like I'm a bit of a glum mood. And, and again, reading more stuff, I think there was a release today 
talking about some data of um, you know retail and hospitality businesses not paying their rent on time. So again, it's about the health of the business and the economy as well. We need to factor in all these things because if those businesses aren't doing good, again, the question has to be, you know, when the support from the government run, falls out or, or runs out um, in terms of wage subsidies and other support for, their, for some of their costs, what happens then to those businesses? And again, that flows through to employment as well. So I don't want to be fully negative, Nancy, and putting too many negative spins on all this, but I think there's lots of things to consider here. And, and business health and economy health is, is another one of those. And it's just a matter of picking out and finding out where is that information, you know, business confidence or it is these rent payments or whatever it might be to get a feel for where those sectors of the market might be going to as well. Um, but of course, on the flip side, there is some positive information of course, we did get the New Zealand Activity Index data out last week for October, which showed that the economy was still um, increasing year on year, essentially 0.6%, I think it was, year on year, Calvin. Um, it's a pretty decent result, considering we still have some restrictions across the country um, and still pretty tight in Auckland in that month. Um, to still see the economy you know, turning over a decent clip is still very positive. So I know I'm bringing a very yin and yang um, to that last, last sort of sentence or two, um, but... Another one to consider, right, is what's happening in the economy and that business sector. Yep, yeah, yeah, for sure. And yeah, NZAC up 0.6% year on year in October. So, uh, you know, actually compare, and you think about the year on year comparison, uh, last October, kind of okay. So to have a, a figure this year that's that's higher than that, even despite the restrictions we've had this October, still a pretty good result. So again, there's going to be um, different experiences in different industries, but when you add it all up, you know, the, the economy seems isn't still doing too badly, and you know, you've got to pin your hopes on uh, the, the the new uh, traffic light system and getting into this, uh, a brighter sort of twenty twenty two in terms of being able to move around with with vaccine passports and this type of thing. But you know, on that front, actually, things still kind of looking okay, and and so yeah, good result from from that NZAC. Um, we also had some migration figures, which. We're, we're, we're low now that's that's going to be a big story i guess for, for next year if, if borders reopen and what happens to net migration get those questions a lot and will we see an influx of, of people and we've, we've talked about this before we, we may well but don't forget there's probably going to be a lot of people wanting to leave so those figures for now are still kind of boring but could become more interesting next year i think yeah yeah totally agree um yeah yeah always going to be a factor of course but Still comes back to credit for me in the in the first instance so um that's where i think most of our focus will be in the first instance and uh and we'll keep a, a, a sly eye on the other sort of data like migration um cool mate well as i suspected the reserve bank and credit and, and all that stuff's really dominated today's discussion um i pretty much think we've probably covered most of the stuff i want to talk about today the other thing i want to mention was that our monthly video is now live it is a five minute um, summary of where the market's at of course quite visual lots of charts in there as well please do go and check that one out. Give us your feedback too. I was keen to hear your thoughts on that one. And do feel free to share on those networks too. Um, you know, a good one to, to have out there in the market is to, you know, where things are at when you've only got five minutes to summarise where things are at. Have to pretty succinct and have that evidence right there in front through the vision, visuals of those charts too. So please do go check that one out. Um, otherwise, mate, anything else that you're looking out for this week? Any other comments or thoughts on the market that we haven't covered off today? Um, I'll leave it to you and then I can uh, wrap us up. No, I think that's good coverage. Yeah, Reserve Bank, again, dominating things. And just in terms of data, we've got the ANZ Consumer Confidence Survey on Friday at, at 10 o'clock. Uh, it's, it's been actually 
the, the one sort of slightly softer spot in all of these economic news releases. So you know, maybe just get swamped by everything else and, and it's a kind of don't worry about it and move on scenario, but still just worth watching. And the, the last few results have been a bit weaker. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see see that again. And if, if it has weakened, you know, it will will households be shutting up shop a little bit and what, what that means. So just a just a one to watch. As I say, everything else is still looking pretty good, but that one has has softened a bit. So yep, we'll look forward to the next set of figures. Yeah, good point. Good point. Um, awesome, mate. Well, I'll wrap us up. I, I feel like today wasn't as structured of a chat, so hopefully um, still makes lots of sense to the to the listeners. Thanks very much for your uh, thoughts, though, Calvin. As I said, you know, anything tied to Reserve Bank is always good to really get into some of the detail around that one, so I appreciate your thoughts. Thank you very much for listening. Please do hit subscribe on that auto-download button as well, so we'll, every time we release on Monday afternoon, go straight into your podcast player, and feel free to get in touch with us. Are available on Twitter, LinkedIn, and our email addresses are also listed within your podcast player. So I'm going to say thanks once again. My name is Nick. His name's Calvin. You've been listening to the New Zealand Property Market Podcast. Matiwa. Thank you.